Welcome to Attitude, Knowledge, and Skill, the podcast outreach of AKS Firearms Instruction, addressing the essential needs of the whole shooter. Your host, Tom Bushy, addresses tips, tactics, and tantamount Second Amendment issues of the week. Class is now in session. Okay, I'm the only one in this room professional enough that I know of to carry this block for I'm the only one. Whoopsie. Welcome back to Attitude, Knowledge, and Skill. We're looking back on the week that was of January 20th. And uh, it was quite a week, at least as far as January 20th itself was concerned. Uh, Awesome event that day. We'll be talking a little bit about the events of Lobby Day on January 20th. But that clip that I played just as we were uh, coming into the show today was uh, from a video. It's not a new video. I had to really dig to find it. I had seen it before. And this is a DEA agent teaching teenagers about gun safety did you know that there are two main sources for accidental shootings quote unquote and those sources are one ignorance and two negligence now ignorance is ignorance there's there's no shame in not knowing something now ignorance coupled with arrogance that is uh, less honorable and scary dangerous Uh, we don't like to mix ignorance and arrogance but if you just don't know something about guns you don't know anything about guns uh, don't pick one up just don't pick one up that's great have some training like for instance you could go to AKS firearms instruction AKSFI.com or email me, Tom Bushy, at safeshooter at aksfi.com. And you can learn something about firearms, even if you don't want to shoot. I can teach you about gun safety and storage and just make you a little more aware about uh, firearms in general. But what we have in this uh, audio clip that uh, I just played on the way in, I extracted that from a video that is posted on the AKS uh, Firearms Instructions Facebook page. This DEA agent is showing the students this Glock 40. Um, I heard him, somebody must have been holding it for him to the side, and he verified just by saying, see, this is an unloaded gun, and proceeded to say, I'm the only one in this room professional enough to carry a Glock 40. And as though it were orchestrated right on cue, As soon as he declared his qualifications, his professionalism, he shot himself in the leg. Now, he was okay. It was not a fatal injury. Okay, I'm the only one in this room professional enough that I know of to carry this Glock 40. I'm the only one. Uh, He then tried to maintain some kind of professionalism or credibility, uh, making sure everybody's okay and put his hands up and then see, accidents happen. Well, accidents happen when you're either ignorant or negligent. And if he truly was a professional, he certainly knew better than to just assume the gun was unloaded. And you verify. You you want to handle a gun? You look. 
in the magazine well, you look in the chamber, and then you show someone else, look in the magazine well, look in the chamber, and you have two people that visually check and verify that the firearm is unloaded. And then you still treat it like it's loaded. So this, this professional DEA agent uh, did not visually verify that the gun was unloaded, obviously, and he did not uh, engage in muzzle awareness. He flagged himself with the muzzle of the gun, uh, hence the bullet wound to his leg. So anyway, uh, it's kind of humorous. Thank goodness it wasn't serious, but it's, it's like made for Hollywood when someone's exclaiming their professionalism and their qualifications and immediately on cue, the next second, shoots himself in the leg. Uh, get smart, get trained, and never take firearms lightly. Never. I don't care how long you've been handling firearms. You always have to have that awareness and that respect anytime there's a firearm in the room. Well, lordy, lordy, hordy. There seems to be a little bit of hoarding going on in the state of Virginia. In November, as you well know by now, if you listen to this podcast or check in with uh, the AKS page on Facebook or any kind of news anywhere, you know that in November, uh, the election in the state of Virginia gave Democrats the majority, the control of both houses of their General Assembly. And of course, their governor uh, is a liberal Democrat as well and said, please bring me all the gun control bills you can and I will sign them. Okay, so that that was well known. No one was uh, pretending or hiding anything. That's what they wanted to do and that's what they said they're going to do and that is what they have proceeded to do. But isn't it interesting? Uh, law enforcement today came up with some numbers that uh, it's it's like Newton's third law of motion. To every action, there's an equal opposite reaction. Well, we had this this action of the declaration of the General Assembly and the governor to institute gun control laws, some of which would be gun bans. One of the things that they wanted to pass, and I think they may have already, is a limit on how many guns you can buy in a month, like one. And so guess how gun sales went in the month of December of last year, just a few months ago. Well, you might have guessed. Virginia state gun sales in December jumped by 47%. Just in the, in the month of December alone, there were 73,849 gun purchases. Some of them were first gun buyers, first time gun buyers like Ida Wright. She's a 66 year old grandma of eight and she bought her first handgun in December. Uh, somebody interviewed her at the gun store and she said, I didn't think I would ever be buying a gun, but things are changing so drastically. If we don't protect ourselves, who is going to protect us? So Virginians are getting this ominous sense that they are going to be defenseless. Imagine if you were, if you were in the, um, the Shenandoah Valley up on the beautiful mountains in the blue mountains of Virginia. Um, and you have some kind of criminal, uh, being aggressive to you or breaking into your home and you're going to what call the police and wait for them to get there it could be a very long time until you get a response there remember when second count 
the police are there in minutes maybe several minutes depending on where you live so anyway uh it's kind of humorous and predictable that virginians responded to the new general assembly by hoarding guns getting as many as they possibly could all right on bongino.com there was an article about the aftermath or not the aftermath the actual day of lobby day in richmond virginia now if i were to come to you two days after christmas and i were to say oh what did you get for christmas you might have a hard time listing very many of the gifts that you got on the the blessed day of christmas now in the months months and months these days leading up to christmas you go and uh, go into the retail stores the marketing starts now in october with uh, christmas decorations and warm fuzzy happy holly jolly christmas music and uh, of course sales and all that build up all the tv specials all of the christmas parties everything that goes along with christmas coming it's such a big deal and then two days after Christmas is gone, you might have a hard time even remembering what you got for Christmas. It is a, a special Christmas gift where uh, you actually use it and enjoy it for more than a few days after Christmas. It's just the way it is, right? It's the thought that counts. That's the big thing. Well, we had such a buildup for Lobby Day. Uh, it it was incredible. I mean, I... I was getting spooked. We were seeing articles about uh, Antifa planning on showing up. And uh, we were told by the media that it was going to be a white supremacist rally. Uh, not just that there were going to be some there, but it was going to be a white supremacist rally. And it was going to be uh, bloody and violent and dangerous. And uh, guess what? It, it didn't turn out so. It turned out that there were about 22,000 pro-liberty demonstrators raising their voices to let the General Assembly and the governor know that they don't want any parts of any state gun control laws. So in Richmond, on the big day, what did we get? Well, we got a unified show of freedom-loving Americans and hopefully a reinvigorated voting block of Second Amendment supporters. That's that's what we got. Uh, it was uh, very pleasing to see that none of the fears that uh, were leading up to that day actually came to fruition. Uh, as far as Flash Media is concerned, it was kind of a boring event. People were walking around. They were being nice to each other. They were being polite. They were picking up trash after themselves. And yeah, there was the, the open carry crowd. Uh, some of the guys walking around with, uh, you know, AR-15s strapped to their fronts. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of that myself. I think it does more harm than good uh, for the 2A community to freak people out uh, wearing those scary guns on the outside of your, uh, your clothing. Uh, but just the same, it was a peaceful event. There was one arrest. Do you know what the one arrest was for? Wearing a mask in public. Some poor woman was wearing a bandana to cover her mouth and nose and was told to take it off. And she pulled it down a little bit. And when the cop went away, she pulled it back up. And uh, it became an issue. 
and she ended up getting arrested for wearing that bandana in public. It's a felony. She was charged with a felony for wearing a bandana over her mouth and nose. Now, you know, it was about 25 degrees outside and a light to moderate wind about 12 miles an hour out there. You think maybe she was just trying to keep her nose warm? There were actually law enforcement out there that were wearing masks to keep their faces warm. Anyway, don't get me started on that. After the whole thing was over and it was very, very peaceful, Governor Northam uh, proclaimed his great effectiveness at preventing violence <laughs> at preventing violence at the uh, at the event. You know, Ronald Reagan used to say, this is not a direct quote, he used to say that uh, the key to getting things done is not always caring who gets the credit. Well, I don't know if this fits, but Governor Northam was quick to take credit for things that he had absolutely nothing to do. Uh, but he thinks that, uh, wants you to think, that uh, he is some great protector and keeper of the peace. So Governor Northam put down tens of thousands of ravenous, bloodthirsty rioters to protect the citizens. Or maybe they were just peace-loving, life-valuing average citizens that don't want to stay quiet as elitists like him and the General Assembly pursue to dissolve the United States of America as it was founded. Uh, my guess is option B. So on Tuesday, it was back to work for the uh, Virginia General Assembly and the governor, and they hit the ground running. Undaunted by the masses, they continue to act on their anti-constitutional agenda. Uh, they have, in the last week, passed at least four anti-gun laws, including uh, universal background checks. But what we are hoping for is that this mass showing is going to lead to a, a mass block of Second Amendment supporting voters on the next voting day. Uh, and in the meantime, we pray that nobody gets hurt. Nobody gets hurt as the uh, freedom of the citizen comes in direct conflict with the tyranny of the government of Virginia. So thanks, Bongino, Dan Bongino, for that uh, that article on his uh, on his website. So WRIC in Richmond has reported that a Virginia red flag bill has passed the Senate. Now SB 240 goes out to the House before it hits the governor's desk, and if it doesn't hit the governor's desk as it is, it'll probably be because the House wanted to make it uh, more restrictive and stronger. So this this is happening, it's on, on the way, and you can guarantee that the, um, the state of Virginia is gonna pass a red flag law in the very near future. I appreciate Senator Amanda Chase, Virginia State Senator Amanda Chase, she said, each legislator that votes in favor of this bill, in my opinion, is a traitor to Virginia, a traitor to the Second Amendment, and a traitor to our constitutional freedoms. Go get them, Senator Chase. Red flag laws uh, are a clear violation of the Second Amendment. I mean, we have the right to bear arms, to keep and bear arms. So uh, saying it's a violation of our Second Amendment rights 
is accurate. But in the Apalachicola and Carabelle Times, there's an article by Dr. Harold Peace, who is a constitutional expert, uh, and he details six of the Ten Amendments in the Bill of Rights that red flag laws violate, threaten, or harm. Uh, the uh, article is nice. There is um, there is a link to it on one of the posts of my Facebook page, but it really lists things one by one and is uh, concise and accurate. So, of course, the first amendment that the uh, red flag laws tend to violate is free speech. You can you can say something, and if someone deems it to be hate speech. They can anonymously you know, turn you into the authorities and you are going to be actioned against by the government because of your speech. The Second Amendment, of course, you're allowing thousands of citizens to have their firearms confiscated only upon the fear that a crime might be committed. That's infringement if you ask me. The Fourth Amendment... It uh, requires warrants for searches and seizures based on probable cause. And forever in the country, probable cause has been based on evidence that an actual crime has been committed, not that a crime might be committed. The Fifth Amendment assures us due process of law. It says no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, not after. So taking an action where you are confiscating property from someone and then after the fact holding some kind of a hearing where they can try to defend themselves or really prove themselves innocent uh, before they get their property back, that, that is not due process. And then lastly in his article, uh, the Sixth Amendment one of the things that it lists there is that you have a right to a speedy and public trial and that you have the right to be confronted with the witnesses against you. That flies in the face of the red flag that allows people to be anonymous tipsters and then have you be subject to firearms confiscation. So that is a quickie as far as reviewing how the red flag laws violate the Constitution. Uh, there are more and more, and perhaps we can talk more and more in future editions of Attitude, Knowledge, and Skill podcast, but uh, that's enough. If it breaks just one amendment, that's, that's enough to oppose it. Also, when you look at these six amendments that are touched by the red flag laws, it helps you to see the, the interconnectedness of the amendments because the amendments are all about protecting the citizens liberty from an oppressive tyrannical government so it's a a good article a fairly easy read and not very long which is uh, right up my alley so do you have a carry license if you do if you need one you know, maybe you're in Oklahoma or one of the 17 constitutional carry states. But if you need one in your state and you have one, do you know where you can carry? Do you know where you cannot carry? Just because you have a license in your state doesn't mean that the law allows you to carry that firearm wherever you darn well please. 
there are limitations, different limitations from state to state. Well, U.S. Law Shield puts it out there that uh, calling 911 isn't always the best thing for you to do if you are the victim of a crime. Now, that was uh, the headline in uh, a mailing that the uh, U.S. Law Shield gave me in, in my email box. And uh, certainly, that is a curious statement. It isn't always the best thing for you to do as a crime victim to call 911 right away. In the case where your firearm has been stolen, it's best to talk to your attorney first. For instance, let's say you have a license to carry and you're carrying your firearm and you really want to go into that uh, Buffalo Wings restaurant, which is a gun-free zone, and you decide that you're going to leave your gun in your car, in the center console or some other place that's really not recommended, and it gets stolen. What U.S. Law Shield is saying is it's best for you to call them first and talk to your attorney at U.S. Law Shield, if you remember, and uh, they will prepare you to then call 911. See, in, in lots of states, it's a law that you have to report a stolen firearm. Uh, and it's not a bad idea anyway, because if that firearm was stolen from you, is then used in the crime, that gun can be traced back to you and you could be in a bit of trouble. Now, let's pause and think, hmm, that gun can be traced back to me, but there is no gun registry, right? Sure, there's no gun registry. Uh, that's, a, that's a subject for a deeper look in the future. Uh, the point here is that it's best to call an attorney first. They will ask you questions like, where was your gun when it was stolen? Oh, you know, I was in my car, went into the post office to uh, mail a letter, so I left my gun in the car. And your attorney is going to have uh, a little bit of work cut out for him because you're not supposed to have a firearm in your car when it's parked in the post office parking lot. Okay, and that's just one little example. So call your attorney first and they can figure out how best to handle the situation. Then call 911 under the advice of your U.S. Law Shield uh, lawyer. Don't have a U.S. Law Shield lawyer because you're not a member? Well, the good news is you can go to www.uslawshield.com, enter promo code AKSFI, and you can get all kinds of information about the benefits of membership with U.S. Law Shield. I have been one since uh, before I became a handgun owner. It was one of the things that uh, I wanted to get in place before I armed myself. All right. I don't like this headline. Uh, and, it's, and it's my own headline. I wrote it. So I'm not being very nice to myself. In my notes, this next section is called The USA is Not the Greatest. Now, I am a proponent of American exceptionalism. So to write USA is not the greatest, yes, it's it's clickbait. If listening to this podcast and going on to the next story, you had to click, this would be clickbait. Why on earth would, would Tom Bushy say that uh, the USA is not the greatest? Well, follow me here. Uh, there's a, a, a commentary by Dr. John Lott. I talk about him frequently because of his scholarly, uh, heavily researched work uh, regarding Second Amendment issues. Uh, he reads studies and he 
produces studies based on good data, thorough procedures, and uh, draws good conclusions, solid conclusions. So John Lott is from the uh, Crime Prevention Research Center, and uh, he is a great resource. If you uh, if you find his website, which I always forget off the top of my head, but if you go Crime Prevention Research Center in your search engine, you will find it. Uh, there's an overwhelming amount of articles and studies there for you to look at about just about any topic relating to firearms. So there are uh, lots of emotional arguments that try to connect our liberty with quote-unquote unparalleled violence anywhere else. We're at no lack for emotional arguments. Like Governor Gavin, Gavin Newsom, California's governor, in response to a mass shooting, said, this doesn't happen anywhere else on the planet. Barack Obama, when he was president, said, the one thing we do know is that we have a pattern now of mass shootings in this country that has no parallel anywhere else in the world. Well, in October of 2018, there was an event called the Kerch Polytechnic College Massacre in Crimea, Russia. And a shooter came into the school and shot people up, killed 21 people, and wounded seven, uh, excuse me, 70 others. Now, so much for this not happening anywhere else on the planet, as unparalleled anywhere in the world. Instead of just saying stuff, try a good, legitimate investigation. So, John Lott did that, of course. He defined mass shooting, as the FBI did up until 2013, and they slightly changed it, but a mass shooting is four-plus people, more than four, pe- four or more people, killed in public by a shooter that simply had the intent of killing. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to kill as many people as I can, is uh, the idea of the intent of the shooter. It's not attached to any other crime, no gang activity, or political uprising. It is just a shooter wanting to kill as many people as he can. Well, from 1998 to 2015, this study shows that there were 2,354 attacks with 4,880 shooters outside of the United States. Those are attacks and shooters that took place outside of the United States. Inside the United States, in that same time frame, there were 53 attacks with 57 shooters. So you do some math, and you see that the U.S. accounts for 2.2% of the attacks worldwide, and less than 1.15% of the shooters resulting in 1.4% of the murders. I know numbers on an audio podcast. Uh, Please follow me on this because the numbers are real. If we take a look at the uh, mathematic perspective on the number of number of attacks in the world, if you include the U.S., the uh, 53 attacks in the U.S., and add that with the 2,354 attacks everywhere else, we see that there were 
407 attacks in the time span that was uh, that was studied. Well, if you multiply 2,407 by 0.022, that's way, way less than 1, in case you're keeping track, 0.022. That's how much of the world's attacks occurred in the United States. All you're doing is working back to that original number. The U.S. accounts for 4.6% of the world's population. Thus, we have less than our fair share of attacks and shooters and murders in the world. The U.S. is not the greatest by far when it comes to mass killings. Of 97 countries studied, U.S. ranks 64th. We are in 64th place as it pertains to per capita rate of attacks and 65th place in fatalities. Now, that sure isn't how the gun grabbers make it sound. Gavin Newsom, Barack Obama, they didn't make it sound like, oh, there are uh, 63, 64 other countries in the world that uh, are in worse shape than we are when it comes to mass shootings and fatalities. Now, would their statements be uh, accounted for due to emotional spouting off? This is a terrible thing, and I'm going to say these things because I'm feeling emotional about it, whatever it is that, that happened to inspire those, uh, those statements. Or do they know the truth and are counting on the rest of us not knowing the truth? The numbers that uh, John Lott amassed are, are not a secret. They're out there for anyone to see. But for some reason, people can just say stuff and they're immediately assigned credibility when they're not worthy. They're not worthy of any credibility. All right, there's some other numbers here that um, I just won't, won't go over because it is a lot of numbers. I will tell you that the frequency of foreign mass public shootings since 1998 has grown 291% faster in those places than it has in the U.S. So... These stats are difficult to compare to the U.S. because different parts of the U.S. have stronger or not as strong gun control laws. And most of us that keep track of these things know that areas like Chicago and California, where the gun laws are more restrictive, they actually tend to have a higher rate of gun deaths. Well, gun-free zones are really counterproductive. They're, they're really killing zones. They're soft target zones. Again, more studies from John Lott show that 94% of mass shootings in the U.S. since 1950 occur in gun-free zones. Now, gun-free zone, if we're defining our terms here, a gun-free zone is a place where general citizens can't carry guns. Okay, Obviously, the police can carry guns. That includes military bases. Even even now, the little bit of ground that's been gained on military bases, still the people that can carry guns concealed on military bases still have to be the law enforcement law officers, the military police officers. Uh, if they're off-duty, they're still permitted to carry guns. But someone who's not part of law enforcement is not. So uh, these gun-free zones could be military bases, lots of theaters, schools, nightclubs, churches. You've heard the stories. States or uh, here you go. States or municipalities. I can say that. I just have to be ready. States or municipalities that issue very few gun permits could also be considered gun 
free zones. So some uh, records from 2011, looking at California. Orange County, California, 0.02% of the adult population in Orange County uh, have been issued carry permits. Alameda County, California, 007% of adult population have carry permits. I couldn't resist the 007. 0.007% of the adult population in Alameda County have carry permits. And in Los Angeles, that goes down to 0.0032 of the adult population. So here we go. This is homework, right? So here we go for uh, the AKS Firearms Instruction homework for the day, for the week. Multiply the adult population of Los Angeles, which happens to be uh, 2.26 million adults. You want to find out how many people have carry permits in Los Angeles? Well, multiply that population. I have to use my finger here. By 0.000032. And that will get you the number of adults that have carry permits in Los Angeles. It's not a lot. It's not a lot. Why would you want a carry permit? Well, this story out of Nashville tells us why. In Nashville, Metro Police say that 29-year-old Deontay Johnson drove his co-worker who was uh, Riona Cohen, 30-year-old woman. Uh, he drove her to work one Sunday morning. As Johnson was pulling up to the rear entrance of the barbecue joint where she worked, uh, Cohen's ex-boyfriend appeared. And police say this guy's name is Sterling Macon, 26 years old, parked his Jeep in front of Johnson's car appeared agitated and belligerent. Now, you're keeping score. Cohen, good woman without a gun. Johnson, good guy with a gun, giving a ride to Cohen. Macon, bad guy with a gun, and Cohen's ex-boyfriend. So Macon, that bad guy with a gun, uh, jerked his ex-girlfriend, Cohen, out of the car and onto the pavement. Johnson attempted to calm the chaos by telling Macon, hey, take it easy. This is called de-escalation. He was verbally trying to uh, put a stop to this uh, violent encounter. So good for him. It's always worth a try. It doesn't always work. It does sometimes. Macon then lifted his shirt and displayed a pistol that was tucked into his waistband. Macon then reached for the weapon. Johnson quickly reacted and pulled out his own gun and opened fire. Macon was hit, but was able to make a run for it. Police eventually caught up to him and arrested him. He did not receive any life-threatening wounds. So police arrested him for a felony aggravated assault and misdemeanor domestic assault. No one else was hurt. Deontay Johnson protected Breonna Cohen with his gun, and that's great. At such a close range, though, whatever hit Mason sustained did not prevent him from making a run for it. It's good that nobody died. It's hard to regret that outcome. But if Johnson was aiming to stop the threat, as well he should, and we all should, 
he should have placed his shots at center mass. Macon had a gun, uh, and he still could have used it just as easily as turning and running, which was the option that he chose. Once he displayed his gun in a threatening manner, after initiating a physical confrontation, he has already been physical with uh, Brianna Cohen, he is legitimately considered a deadly threat. So shooting to injure, shooting with the, I'm going to shoot at his kneecaps, I'm going to shoot at some, some smaller part of his body to incapacitate him so he'll stop this. It is very risky business. That's a hard shot to make. It's a hard shot to make when you're at the range, let alone when you're in a high-stress situation because you're only going to shoot, at best, half as well as you typically shoot in practice when you're in a high-stress situation. Now, maybe Johnson tried that. Maybe he tried to shoot to injure uh, instead of shoot to stop. Or maybe he was not able to place stopping hits. It's amazing how close you can be in a high-stress situation and completely miss your target. Happens a lot. Well, regular training and practice make the difference and greatly increase the likelihood of surviving potentially deadly conflicts. Get trained. Get that attitude where you're respecting life and you're ready to protect life and you are ready to go into the combat mindset when it is necessary. Here at AKS Firearms Instructions, we can help you with that training. We can help you uh, ask you the questions that you need to weigh as you uh, enter into the area of using a firearm for self-defense. Thanks for tuning in this week. I hope to uh, see you again. Figuratively speaking, of course, because actually I'm just alone here in my office. This has been Attitude, Knowledge, and Skill, the podcast outreach of AKS Firearms Instructions. Find us on the net at aksfi.com and AKS Firearms Instruction on Facebook. Go to the show notes for links to streaming services that carry this podcast and please consider subscribing. Thank you for listening. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed.